What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Logos Podcast. I'm Max. I am Sam. Estoy Jose. I'm going to be learning Spanish this summer, so I got to get ready. That's true. Sam and, Sam and I both are, actually, and then we'll be able to speak Spanish better than Max. I've been, yeah, okay, I, that's not true, but I'm impressed at how quick y'all's, uh, how quick y'all have been able to learn Spanish, so congrats, guys. Yeah, be careful. The student will quickly become the master, I we got We got big brains. We got big brain guys over here. <laughs> <laughs> like little brain guys, like maybe medium brain guys at best. We, we only make big brain moves. <laughs> Max, that was a really good comeback, dude, calling us little brains. Yeah, I mean, gosh. all day. thought you were supposed to be the host six? of this podcast. <laughs> dude. <laughs> Sorry, that's the best I got right now, dude. So, right, who are we talking about, Max? Today, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, a pretty, I would say, influential, um, either directly or indirectly. He's been influencing a lot of our, our culture. Um, we're going to be talking about Karl Marx today. Oh, I was thinking Michael Jackson when you started talking about <laughs> smooth criminal. <laughs> yeah, I think influential is a pretty safe adjective to use. Yeah, he has been talking influential, about right? Karl Marx. Pretty relevant for like the last, you know, 200 yeah. years or so. Yeah, no. I think you're right. He's he's his ideas are definitely kind of like permeating our culture still even after some of the what I think are pretty negative consequences of his ideology. So, I think it's worth kind of talking about who this guy was. And uh, because a lot of people, they're kind of familiar with communism and like they hear the name Marx, but they haven't really read his stuff and aren't super familiar with his philosophy as a whole. So it's probably yep. worth talking about a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it, well, it's definitely one of those names. As soon as you say his name, like people either love him or hate him. You know, it's mm-hmm. never anything in the middle. Uh, so it, it is definitely an interesting conversation to have. Yeah. So before I started uh, or before we started talking about Karl Marx, I did want to on a, on a lighter note. Um, ask what is one thing y'all are grateful for that has happened to y'all today? Today? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a good question. That's a good question. Uh, do you have an answer before we do? Yeah, so we can I'll give you for a sec. <laughs> I'll give you. So, um, I was doing evening prayer today. Right. So nice. Um, and I had a really good moment of grace, uh, and clarity. I was like, God, I, mm. I think you actually want me here. And this is, Good, because I've been needing it since I've gotten back from seminary. So that was a good moment. Yeah, you know, that's awesome, man. That's good to hear. So, yeah, it's that's interesting. Good to hear. Yeah, uh, for me, this is. I mean, it was a really nice day here. It was like 61, 62 degrees outside, and it was like perfect. No wind and sun's out, like perfect kind of weather. And I don't know, like I know that's kind of a generic thing to say, but as I've kind of alluded to a couple times, I used to, I used to sit in the hospital. Um, and then like we have these major windows in the hospital and the, and the sun would shine through, uh, and I was never able to go outside. So I, these like just normal days like that, I just don't take them for granted now. Yeah. So that's been my thing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, similarly, uh, very thankful for just the gift of life in general. Uh, Aww. and I know that's pretty cliche, but also. I, uh, I've been having pretty bad allergies for the last week and <laughs> Here we they, go. Got re- they got really, really, they got really, really bad the last few days. Are you going to tell a story? I'm going to tell a story. <laughs> and so I was talking to my mom, FaceTime with my mom and I'm, you know, I've got a congestion going on and I'm, my eyes are, you know, bloodshot cause I've been itching them all day. 
And she's like, Joey, what in the world is going on? I'm like, mom, I've got allergies and that's all it is. And she's like, Joey, I think you have COVID. So <laughs> you need to go get tested. Sound because, the alarm. Because you're going to be going, you know, to parishes this weekend, shaking old people's hands. So you got to go get tested. I was like, ah, you're probably right. So I did. Went to get tested today. Mm. Max and Sam were already making fun of me because they, you know, they already make fun of me for eating vegetables. And now they were trying to tell me that the vegetables don't work. <laughs> but, <laughs> that was more Max, if I do say. Also, I didn't say they don't but, work. I just said now I have more of a justification why I should not eat them. Except you're wrong because I tested negative. <laughs> so eat your vegetables, kids. They're delicious and nutritious. All right. Let's talk about Karl Marx. <laughs> yeah. All right. So... Karl Marx, he uh, was born in the um, 1800s, early 1800s. Uh, he was one of nine kids, which is which is uh, pretty nine regular, kids, I guess, well. for that time, right? Do you know where he was in the line? Uh, no, I don't, actually. So oh, I was just interested. Yeah, I, th- I think his upbringing was of Jewish descent. Um, I think his family his family was. He definitely came from a, like a, a Jewish lineage. I think his father later gotcha. on in life uh, had a conversion to Christianity, uh, but I think it seemed it seemed to be more like politically and socially influenced. It wasn't. I don't think he really. Yeah, I to think the, that's right. Held on to the faith. I think it was more like a for his career kind of thing. So. Um, yeah. So 19th century, he was in, he was born in Germany, right? He grew up in, right, or he was originally from Germany. Yeah. Right. From Germany, I think the Berlin area. Well, he ended he ended up dying in London, I think, right? Because he kept getting pushed around to different places, kept getting banished from certain countries. I don't even know how that works. I don't know how you get banished from a country, but Karl Marx did it, I think, like three times. Yep. And ended up dying in London, I think, right? Kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> you you got to be kind of a legend. You got to be. You got to be significant. <laughs> yeah. At the very least. Famous or infamous, yeah. one but of no, the two. No, he was. Yeah, he was. Um, he fin- he did most of his like political philosophy and like writing in London, right? Yeah. Like towards the end of his life, it, mm. that was when a lot of his yeah he studied kind of he studied law and philosophy, so. and I think uh, he considers himself an economist. Um, you know, I think he's. I mean, he is an economist to some extent, but it seems that a lot of his m- yeah. writings are more philosophically um, grounded. And so, um, you know, some people consider him an economist. Some people ca- uh, consider him a philosopher. So there's a, that's kind of up in the air. But I, but I believe he himself considered himself an economist. So, right, yeah, he's just interested in a lot of different topics, kind of like Joey. Joey's like that. So Joey's like Karl Marx, a Renaissance man, <laughs> yeah. if you will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he, so we got this guy, 19th century economist, political philosopher, and he's because he was from Germany. Probably he was influenced by a couple. Um, German philosophers, right, Max? Yes, sir. He was influenced by uh, Ludwig Feuerbach and uh, Hegel. All right, talk to us about Feuerbach. What was Feuer- Who was Feuerbach? What were some of his kind of ideas, and how did that influence so Marx? Feuerbach was uh, it's considered, uh, you know, the father of modern atheism, whatever that means, right? Because atheism existed even before that. <laughs> nevertheless, yeah, he was lo- loaded statement there. So he nevertheless <laughs> influenced a lot of like the the, the common ideas of um, modern atheism. I think is. The big thing that influenced Karl Marx about him was uh, that uh, the material world, right, informs us about reality, right? So everything we believe comes from what's empirical and it informs our ideas. Yeah, so like the, ma- right, so like the material world is all there is for Marx Correct. and Feuerbach, right? Like he, they're materialists, yeah. yeah. And so the second thing that really uh, um, 
influenced Mark from Feuerbach was his uh, atheism, his staunch atheism, actually. Kind of violent, I would say. Um, he believed, Feuerbach believed that like God is, is simply like a psychological progression, or a projection, I'm sorry. Um, so like, you know, it's almost like uh, God is just uh, a thing we, we project into the world to try to cope with how we deal with reality. And he's, he's basically a means by which um, reality manifests itself. So, um, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a loaded, that's a loaded, you know, proposition it is. right there. But maybe, right. maybe we'll address that in a little bit. Yeah. But, but um, let's talk about Hegel first. Okay. So Hegel. All right. So, yeah, so he's, he's influenced by Feuerbach, this atheism who thinks that God is just an imaginary projection of human beings. Marx agrees with that wholesale. Um, so that's important to note that he's an atheist. Um, the second thing that's important to note is he's influenced by this German philosopher named Hegel. Now, Hegel was a very, you know, complex philosopher, but one of the things that Hegel kind of contributed to the Western philosophy is he had this idea of history and its relationship to God. So Hegel did believe in God, or at least what he called like absolute spirit. Yeah. And he said that history, that the absolute spirit unfolds itself and develops through human history. Mm-hmm. Like human action. Like human action, yeah. and, and specifically like human thoughts and ideas. So like he says that this God, this transcendent figure, this absolute spirit is actually constantly in the state of becoming. Yeah. And that works itself out and develops continuously through the actions and thoughts of especially prominent human beings over time. Now, eventually Hegel saw himself as, you know, the, the definitive voice of the absolute spirit who had now reached full maturity in him because he was really humble, obviously. Quite the ego. <laughs> um, but so it's just interesting. So we, d- we do want to say, first of all, as Christians, we would say that that's wrong because God, he's not still developing. He's not in the process of becoming. No. He's, he contains all perfection within himself and is utterly complete. And he doesn't, he's not, even though he's providentially guiding history according to his will and his plan, he's completely transcend. He completely transcends it. And yeah. so um, yeah. he's not in a process of becoming like right. Hegel well, says. And more to that point than the Hegelian like notion of this God playing out through human, human history. It's almost like God needs humans in mm-hmm. order to make his will come about. Exactly. Which is also a red flag for Christians. Right. God doesn't need anything because he contains all the, you know, right. the, the infinite plenitude of all perfection within himself. So, so that's Hegel. Now, Marx, because he doesn't believe in God, because he doesn't believe in any absolute spirit, he kind of takes Hegel's system um, and br- strips God out of it. So one thing I forgot to mention about Hegel is that Hegel saw history progressing according to this pattern. He said that the history of ideas and of you know human actions by which the absolute spirit unfolds itself progresses according to this pattern. And it's what will happen is this idea is posited by a thinker or, you know, a nation. And he calls this the thesis. And then inevitably what comes about is this contrary position or this contrary idea called the antithesis or the antithesis. And these two things clash. And out of that clash comes what he calls a synthesis, which is kind of like, uh, the you know the net result, but on a higher plane, and this is how. And then to that synthesis, a new antithesis is you know posited, and then those two clash, and the 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 pattern progresses until you know yep. the absolute spirit develops himself fully. Right. Yeah. Right. So Marx takes this kind of you know 
thesis, antithesis, synthesis pattern of history, and he strips the absolute spirit, the transcendent God out of it because he's a materialist yeah. and he doesn't think that anything transcendent exists. And he says, okay, um, he, 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 he becomes what we call a dialectical materialist. So this dialectical process is this threefold kind of pattern that I just described. And what that means, Marx thinks that human history progresses according to not philosophical ideas necessarily, but class struggles. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, for example, he thinks that um, the thesis maybe in this, you know, in as he's you know viewing 19th century, you know, Europe and and seeing industrial capitalism arise, he says, okay, the thesis in history was kind of agrarian feudalism that existed kind of in the Middle Ages and before, leading up to um, capitalism. And he says the antithesis that now has been posited against that old way of doing things is capitalism. Yeah. And what Marx thinks is that these two, these two economic systems are eventually going to kind of clash Yeah. and, um, it's going to result in communism mm. in the communist state. This is going to be the eventual fruit. Marx says that this type of stuff has been happening all throughout human history and he gives examples, but ultimately he says the end of history, which will inevitably come, is this communist state. This is the end of history um, in which everything, you know, everybody owns the means of production. And we'll get into a little bit about that, about what communism is. But so that's kind of Marx's Hegelian influence. And he sees history progressing along these inevitable lines towards, you know, this ultimate state of communism. Right. That's a good point. Okay. So I'm going to jump in here and see if I can add to this. So Karl Marx, when we talk about class struggle, so class struggle becomes like the big thing for Marx. Yeah. And he ultimately divides us into two different groups right one called the proletariat which is what he refers to as like the working class and then the bourgeoisie which is like the ruling class or for marx since he's a materialist the ruling class is those that own the means of production the, the ones that own how we make our, our products basically yeah so these are the two groups that he observes in this new kind of it's also the bourgeoisie is also right. encapsulated by those who own the property that the uh, proletariats are working on as well right yeah, yes, so they, yeah, they, yeah. they own the businesses, they own the means of production, right. and they're a small elite group of people who Correct. have most of the wealth of society. Yeah. And the proletariat are the workers who are kind of getting exploited. So this is a good point. So Marx is, Marx is writing his political philosophy, you know, the Communist Manifesto and all these things, in response to these trends that he's seeing in 19th century Europe with the rise of industrial capitalism. Now, right. I do want to say that lest we, you know, start to bash capitalism, you know, capitalism as in its in its earliest forms, especially in Europe in the 19th century, it was not like capitalism is today in America. Right. right? Yeah. So Marx is criticizing a capitalism, for example, that doesn't have child labor laws. It yep. doesn't have a minimum wage. There's no unionization. There's no like antitrust legislation. There's no limit on how long the workday will be. So it, it was a bit of a brutal form. And he saw a couple things in particular that, that made him worried about it. Right. Yeah. He was definitely worried about that, which is, I guess, fair. I mean, Legitimate. Yeah. People t- being taken advantage of. Uh, and then I guess this is a good place to jump in, right? Where if we, if we talk about the bourgeoisie and the proletariat, there's this class struggle between them. And for, for Marx, basically, the proletariat is going to get into this position through a slow process of history progressing to where their material conditions are absolutely horrendous, yeah. right? And they get slowly and slowly more, I guess, worse in the best way to put it. And, and what Marx, I think this is a direct quote, he ends up saying that, you know, they're, ta- they're being taken their meaningful work away from them, right? Yeah. The proletariat doesn't have meaningful work. Correct. Because for Marx, the human being needs meaningful work. He needs meaningful work that, that helps his fellow man 
and also gives him like a, a purpose, I guess, right? And his purpose is to help other beings and be a species being is what he would call it. This and is interesting, yeah. Yeah, so the species being for Marx is basically like, okay, man's job is to be like a, a, a fellow member of his society and help his fellow man out. Yeah. And that's, the Marx, that's Marx's idea. What do we think of that? What do we think of that? Well, I think like an, an important distinction here would be made. It's like, so the, the really the distinguishing factor between man and any other uh, created being is that man is a productive, this productive being, right? This, right, according to Marx. For Marx. Oh, yeah, correct. Yeah, for according Marx. to Marx, this is, this is a distinguishing factor between man and any other created being. He is this, and that's why he calls us a species being. He never really calls man like a human being. He calls us a species being that just produces things and produces stuff for himself and for, for the greater community. Um, so I would say that I mean, there's, yeah, that's there's really interesting. Obviously, that's that's faulted, right? Because that is we, the that's not what we would as Christians would say is a distinguishing factor um, of, of. Yeah, the, well, I think I think I think it probably derives from his materialistic worldview, sure. right? So sure. since since you know the material world is all there is, and there's no spiritual dimension of man, Marx doesn't think that what distinguishes man from the rest of the animal kingdom is his spiritual soul or his rational nature, but his ability to freely create and produce things. Yep. Right. And it's for this reason that Marx says that man has to live in society and be with others because only in society can he produce and therefore be the type of thing that he is. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, so that's an interesting idea. And I think he's right in recognizing that human beings are meant to live in society. Yeah. Yes. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, we derive that from a different type of argument, I guess, right? Because for Marx, all there is a material things and just how Joey kind of put it. But for the Catholics, the Catholics aren't, we're relational beings. And the reason we're relational is because we come from a relational being, right? God's relational, the Father, yeah. Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. yeah. And since the Trinity is relational, since we come from the Trinity and we, you know, we have our being in the Trinity, yeah. now we're also relational because yeah. we're reflections of that being. Correct. That's right. So, really, hey, I got a question. So Marx really sees two main problems with capitalism. He sees the exploitation of worker, right? And yep. man as alienated from this work. And Sam, I know you did recently some research on these two topics. So like, could you kind of li- yeah. give us some Yeah, insight? let's talk about let's talk about alienation, right? Because he said that Marx said that man is a, an essentially productive being. So obviously work is pretty important for for Marx's conception of man. So yeah, talk about right. alienation a little bit. So, okay. So let me jump back just a little bit. I, I promise to move on, but we have these means of production. Right? Yeah, so yeah. that's what's going on. These people are, they have a means of production and they keep revolutionizing their means of production. The, the, the bourgeoisie. The bourgeoisie, is, yeah. And they do this so that they can create more product with less work. Yeah. So you're taking away work from, from, from people in the proletariat. And because of that, man becomes a mere appendage of his machine, right? That's what Marx says. Yeah, that's a quote. So yeah. now that now basically you're taking everything away from man because all his material his material well is being taken away from him. So this is the first form of alienation for Marx. He's saying, okay, your man is alienated from his work. He's alienated from his true self, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. And that's what, that's a problem for Marx. Now, this is where he kind of builds this. This is where atheism comes into it because man's dealing with this terrible working conditions, right? And it's like, it's hard to live like that. You're, you can't take care of your family. You can't do anything like that. Right. And because man is an essentially productive being for Marx. Right. The fact that he can no longer, you know, freely create and make things like he used to in an yeah. agrarian society. Now the fact that he's kind of just like on the factory line, he's become alienated from his labor. Right, exactly. And then so these conditions are so bad that now the secondary form of alienation comes in, and that's religion for Marx. Religion is a secondary form of alienation because it comes from the, the prior 
form of alienation. Yeah. So basically, man man creates this concept of religion so that it's like to cope with his poor working conditions, his poor material wealth, yeah. his miserable life, right? It's like, okay, I'm going to create this false world, this false narrative that one day I'll be able to be in heaven and paradise because the world I'm in front of right now is just absolutely horrendous. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's so yeah. so man invents religion to cope with his awful material conditions and I think the other thing that Mark says is because religion is this thing that man invents and it kind of makes him, you know, content with his position of being oppressed. Yeah. Religion is also what then becomes according to Marx a tool that the bourgeoisie use yeah. to, to manipulate keep the, yeah, to manipulate. the proletariat down, yeah. right? Right. To manipulate them and tell them, yeah. So the so the bourgeoisie in this, and according to Marx, are a big fan of religion because they're in power, and religion propagating the lies of religion helps yeah. them to stay in power. Yeah. Um, and I just I do want to I do want to talk about this briefly because I think there's a lot of people today who might have this conception of religion and they might think that like Feuerbach and like Marx, it is just this thing that men kind of it's kind of this story that men create yep. um, to make themselves feel better and to make their suffering less you know painful. Um, I think you may be able to make that argument actually, ironically for some of the early, like ancient pagan mythologies, right? right. I think, I think we see that in some of the ancient religions of man where he kind of anthropomorphizes the gods and kind of projects himself onto the Greek, like the Greek gods, for example, they, they behaved a lot like human beings. What do you do. mean by anthropomorphizes the gods? Say because that, that's interesting. Yeah, right, so, that's, so anthropomorphizing comes from the Greek anthropos is what that word means, which means human being. Yeah, so man, right. to anthropomorphize is to kind of just what Feuerbach said to project qualities of humanity onto this divi- yeah. these divine beings. Right. So when uh, like if you talked about like I don't know like Zeus is like very powerful, he's a powerful powerful man, right? Right. It's like, okay, he's yeah. anthropomorphizing him because he yeah. looks like a man. Also, yeah, like and oh, he's like. Yeah, go ahead. Well, Matt. I was just going to say, like, you know, this whole idea of, like, also escaping escaping reality, like, that's also found in, in still existing religions, like like Buddhism, right, would be one of the big ones. That's a good right? point. Like, they're, yeah. like, they're trying to detach themselves from reality, whereas Christians, we would say, we're trying to embrace reality, right? We, that's we proclaim right. the that's crucified a, really Lord because we're, we're, we're grasping and we're grappling with what's real. Um, so Yeah, that's a good point. You know? Yeah, and that's exactly what I was kind of going to go towards. So... Marx's understanding of religion, I think, expresses a fundamental misunderstanding of the history of Christianity. And this is what I mean by this. Christianity, historically, like it's just a historical fact, it did not come onto the scene as a result of some man inventing like a religious system. It wasn't an invention of some guy. Christianity was an intervention in history. Yeah of God in this person of Jesus Christ who didn't say, here's this system you have to follow. He said, no, I am God. Yes. And what's crazy about Jesus Christ is that he didn't he didn't tell his followers that they were going to experience less suffering if they followed him. <laughs> he actually he promised them he said no whoever comes after me he must deny himself yep. and take up his cross take daily his and cross. follow me. Like right. he promised that that they were going to experience more suffering but they, but it was precisely through that suffering that they were going to kind of be united to him. Um, in the cross and attain to their eternal salvation. And throughout the first 300 years of Christianity, 
that was the cell. It wasn't like, yep. you know, high up politicians who created this false narrative to continue to keep the masses low. It was, yeah. it was individual Christians evangelizing each other. And what they said to each other was come follow us, come follow this man who in the eyes of the world was a, was spurned and, and rejected and, you and hear was the, crucified the, as a the, criminal. You hear the stories of like these saints rejoicing in the pain of like when they were under fire, like yes. they, were, they were in fires and, and they were dying and they were so happy for the faith. I mean, they ha- they're either lunatics or like they're they're really they're really truly embracing what's what's most real and what's most intimate to man. So this whole idea of like yeah. man inventing religion to cope uh, with with suffering um, because of his material distress, it's just not the Christian, uh, not the Christian heart. It's not the Christian right. mind. It's not what what we exist to do to cope with something. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, and I, so this is a good place to kind of go back to Marx, right? So. We have this form of alienate, the secondary form of alienation. So it's like, oh, we're making all this up. So what's Marx say that we have to do to get out of this? Well, what we have to do is abolish religion, yeah. get rid of it completely, stop lying to yourselves, he says, and then you need to fix your material conditions. Yeah. Now, how does that happen? That's why when the Marxists, when you when you talk about Marxists and they talk about revolution, this is exactly where it comes because you abolish religion, now you take back the means of production from the bourgeoisie, Boom. and that happens through re- revolution. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it happens through blood revolution. I don't know how you have a revolution that's not bloody, but I've heard people say it's not bloody revolution, it's just revolution, yeah. like in a way, whatever is necessary. And I'm yeah. like, that's a total Also, Also, me, like but. in his, in his uh, Communist Manifesto, one of his 10 rules, it says, by any means, including violence. Right. Right. So like he's inciting it. And I I also want to make this point. Lest we think that Marx is just sitting back, creating this system, passively observing what's this class struggle he 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 builds. Right. He's not doing that. Yeah. Right. He wants he wants to empower the proletariat. He's encouraging the class struggle. He, He wants this rebellion to happen because this is, again, the means by which he sees communism coming about. Right, exactly. he wants to he, yeah. he wants to uh, to to ruffle the feathers, if you will, between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat, because in doing so, the system that he thinks is inevitably going to be be uh, be reached, it's going to quicken that process, right? And then we can live yeah, in this kind so, of utopia environment he's trying to 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 build that Christianity is supposedly masking, right? And that that exactly, that, you know, so exactly. like so like if if we do away with capitalism, right? Um, and if we do away with feudalism and we, we, and we, and we kind of put them juxtaposed to each other, all of a sudden you have this, this idea of some kind of, you know, um, communism or, or community that he wants to build. So. Yeah. And so I think, I think we've really just touched on two of the biggest dangers of Marx's writings. Firstly, it's this idea that in order to actually make our living in society better, you need to abolish religion, right? Mm-hmm. He says that that's the first step um, in bringing about a just society. And what the church says is actually no, like capitalism or any society needs religion in order to keep it in check because what religion impels people to do is to look out for the poor and the marginalized and the widows and the orphans. And if you, if you, if you tear that away from society, things get very dangerous very quickly. That's true. But also to add on to that point, because what you said, I'm not saying is not true. Yeah. But religion also allows man to know who he is. Yeah. Because, because, because we know who we are grounded in Christ and grounded in God. Now we know what's right for society. Yeah. That's yeah. the big thing. So when you get rid of that, now you totally lost the center of society. Yeah. That's yeah. what's wrong and, with Marx. And you also, like, and like to your point, Sam, like you also lose the identity of who you are, right? Because for Marx, your identity is conditioned by the material causes around you, 
right? Mm-hmm. Whereas as as Christians, we would say our identity is found in Jesus Christ, right? And the people whom we love yeah. most. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, right. So like that religion helps ground man um, into reality again. And it protects it protects the dignity of the human person, which is the which becomes the second great danger of Marxism is precisely this because he sees this class struggle that's going to come and bring about the communist state in which, you know, everyone owns the means of production together and everyone shares everything and everyone's happy because he sees this class struggle as a necessary step in that. Then anyone who gets in the way of this class struggle, anyone who gets in the way of the communist state ultimately coming about becomes disposable. So the dignity of the individual human person can be set aside in the name of the greater kind of collective. And this becomes, and you see this playing out in the history of the 20th century, these totalitarian regimes that were vastly influenced by Marx. I'm thinking of, you know, Mao, Lenin, Stalin, Castro. Lenin, Lenin had a famous line where he said, you need to crack a few eggs to make an omelet. Yep. Yeah. Right. So That's what he's scary, saying is, for the egg. right, to bring about this communist <laughs> state, yeah, maybe we're going to have to dispose of some individual human beings or some groups of human beings. And what the church says is no, is the value of every single human life has infinite dignity because we're created in the image and likeness of God. Yeah. And any system that justifies disposing of individuals is in and of itself an evil system. Right. And okay, I want to add here uh, one thing. Um, we haven't, we've alluded to it, but we haven't actually said it. Another thing Marx says is that after this revolution happens and you take back the means of production, you then also abolish private property. Yeah, so, that's a so big one. Marx does not like pri- private property. He wants it all getting rid of and that when man, you know, if you go back to what we were saying about man being a species being, well then when nobody has private property, these species beings will do what they're kind of like to do and do what they feel like they're meant to do. Yeah. And in that way, society can, can kind of, flourish and everything's taken care of right now that's not something that's compatible with the catholic church right uh if you look at rerum novarium written by pope leo the 13th yep yep. this is basically written during the time of marx in response to the upcoming of marxism by pope leo and it's been basically solidified and, and, and endorsed by every pope since uh he specifically states that private property is not a bad thing Obviously, hoarding too much stuff's a bad thing. Right. But man needs private property. It's good for man to work. It's good for him to have, you know, his own livelihood. It's good for him to provide for his family. And that's where that's another thing Marx gets totally wrong about human beings. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think Marx would say that it's you know it's to to Marx's credit, he identifies work as an important aspect of human life. Yeah. yeah. And the church the church too would say that work has a profound dignity. Yeah. And even the worker on the on the factory line has a prof- that that work has a profound dignity. Yeah. Yes. But what the church wants to say is that private property is kind of like the economic kind of correlate of political freedom. Yes. Right. Yeah. So yeah. just as we have freedoms in this, you know, in America, for example, where you know our freedoms are protected as individuals, kind of the economic counterside of that is this ability to own private property and what and what the catholic church teaches is that by owning private property and kind of cultivating the world with the use of your own resources man kind of participates in god's governance of the world man kind of gets to participate in god's creative action that governs the world so go ahead i was going to say so one of the things that you know i think this this and again there wasn't these systems were not at play right so like charities organized charities didn't work that didn't exist back in the day right 
Right, right. Today, right. Again, capitalism in Marx's day was very new and very kind right. of Right. It was post-French Revolution. He saw a lot of things changing, yeah. right? Like, it, there was a lot yeah. of things changing. So his reaction, um, I don't know, but in, in some ways, I'm sure he was responding to some of the gruesome things that were happening in history at that time. Nevertheless, yeah. we could say today that religion does provide material means for other people. Like, if, if that used to be an argument, like, that's one of the reasons we should do away with religion. Like, it wasn't actually helping right. people. Like, that's not true. Like, it really is. Just even on a practical level, it is. In fact, we would right. the Catholic Church is the single-handedly most charitable, like, the, the organization that gives most money to charities in the world. In human history. Right. In human yeah, history. Yeah, they put it up far. against anything. Yeah, and by so... By far. We, do, we serve the poor. Um, and, yeah. and then lastly, I just wanted to bring this up. I, I kind of see... Going back to your point earlier, Joe, like I see where um, Marx is saying that work is necessary, like like dignity, like man's dignity is found to some extent in his work, right? As a matter of fact, yeah. Saint Jose Maria Escrivo pretty much work uh, wrote his whole spiritual work around this very principle, right? Like yeah. work sanctifies you. Your daily work sanctifies That's right. you, right? It's important. That's right. Um, and, but, yeah. and like another observation I recently had, like when I was thinking about this not too long ago, is man most free and most himself when he's observing a construction company build a cathedral? Or is he most himself when his family is literally contributing, um, helping build the church by, I don't know, landscaping, putting down the bricks, putting down the foundation, ornating the church. You know what I mean? Like, there is something to be said about yeah, it's like, a good point. the disconnect between community and like man's like desire to create and also man's desire to be in community with God and in a certain way work prayerfully, right? As a as a as a form of like worship towards God. So like in that regard I Yeah, can, that's an I, interesting thought. So um I don't know, that's just for whatever that's worth, I just I could see how he would say that. Um although again, his his epistemology or, or his his uh, basis for his argument is materialist, which is not where the church is grounded right. at all. So that's ultimately where it fell. Right. And ways. that's, yeah, that's what leads it to a lot of problems. The la- an- another thing I know we're throwing a lot, we're, we're throwing a lot out here. Um, but, uh, there's so much here and Marx is obviously so influential and we could talk about him probably for you yeah. know, hours on end. But, um, I think what we also kind of want to see and denounce within Marx's system is this idea that salvation can be attained in this world yep. and that salvation can be attained without God because Marx, Marx's communist state is kind of like an earthly paradise okay. um, that he envisions coming about and that, that he thinks whatever means is ne- necessary to get there is worth it. And, and what we want to say is no, like human beings, we're not made for this world and our salvation as, as, even though as Catholics, we say we want to, you know, contribute to this world and make it as good as, as we possibly can. We know that our ultimate salvation lies in the world to come and can only be brought about uh, with God through yeah. Jesus Christ. He also, he, right. he, also yeah, he, a, he denies original sin, if I'm not mistaken. So he thinks that man is like naturally good and like the material conditions make us bad. Like in order to save <laughs> right. ourselves, right? Like in a certain sense, salvation for him lies, like you said, Joe, in this materialistic utopia. So like it's it yeah. still has this... Like, although he's not, uh, he's advocating against Christianity or religion, but he still has, like, in principles, like, original sin, which to him would be, like, uh, the material conditions. And then he has a salvific kind of aspect to him, which is this communistic um, approach. So, I don't know. That's interesting, too, I guess. Yeah, as much as he, as much as he denounces religion, he kind of speaks religiously 
yeah. um, in his in all of his writings, which is which is interesting to observe, and I think it shows um, the 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 un the unquenchable impulse within man to 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 be religious. The Catechism says that man is a religious being, and even Marx, who denies the existence of God, thinks along religious lines. Yeah, that's a good point, and I don't know, I, like. I, I feel like this is a good place to wrap us up. And this is just something I've been thinking about since we've been sitting here talking. Uh, but like, you know, we, we talk about Marxism and how it's kind of like permeated through different societies. And I think it kind of came to its culmination um, during the pontificate of uh, Pope John Paul II, where we could see it visibly yeah. uh, in Europe. And there's yeah. this iron curtain going through the Berlin uh, with a wall. Um, and you see how oppressed these people are, right? Um, and it seems like, well, there's nothing we can do to stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it's precisely the church who was a big reason why that came down. Yeah. yeah. Right. If you think about John Paul II, he yeah. marched in to Poland, gave a speech to his people in Poland, and, you know, they were chanting, We want we God want for 15 God. minutes. That's beautiful. And that's not accidental. No. That's because the church knows who we are, they know we're mm-hmm. grounded in God. Amen. And, when you uncover that and you give hope to people, even these powers and you know Europe fell, yeah, without lifting a finger, yeah, and that's the that's the dichotomy here, right? Because you think Marxism, there's Marxists out there that think, oh, this is great stuff, like, okay, fine, take that, absolutely terrible, yeah, this is my guy, mm-hmm. Jesus, Amen. this is my guy, Pope John Paul II, Amen. right? This is my guy, these people that. And that's what that's what you know the power of Christ can do. Amen. And I, I just think that's a good place to end you know this conversation. Yeah. I agree. I agree. That's good. That's awesome. Shout out John Paul II. Yeah, yeah. man. Is God what a, a what beast. a great man. Uh, yeah, that was awesome, guys. I think I think we brought a lot to the table. I think this was informative. I know I've learned some things too as we as we were talking. You know, definitely made me. Yeah, Sam. It it helps to talk about these things. And uh, yeah, just encourage people to a. I mean. You know, it's okay to read Marx's stuff to actually yep. try to understand what he's saying. Yeah. Um, it's you know, it's it makes sense that some people are attracted to him because he does have this kind of fundamental notion of justice, and he sees injustices happening in the world. And I think a lot of people, especially young people, relate to that. They see injustice and they want to bring about equality yeah. and stuff like that. But I think it's important to really get into his writings and understand who he is and what he says. And also read Rerum Navarum by Leo yes. XIII. That's yes, a great, I recommend it. It's a great papal document. Yeah, I read yeah. it last winter. It was fantastic. And, and yeah, uh, I didn't know you could read, Max. I, <laughs> <laughs> it was in Spanish. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, it makes sense. Okay, okay. <laughs> so sorry, sorry. I, I'm going to end it with this, and I think this is an important note. Um, Christianity and Marxism are not compatible. You're either no. a really bad Christian or a really bad Marxist, right? <laughs> if, you're, if you're trying to be both, you yeah, can't. You right. can't hold on to both because to be a Marxist, you have to be a staunch atheist and not agree that reality is informed through um, experience, through ideas, right? These these are at least that's what Marx says. Right, that's what Marx says. So like anthropologically, he disagrees with Christ, uh, Marx agrees with disagrees with Christianity, and also epistemologically, or the way we come to know things. Um, he also disagrees yep. with with church foundation, um, and ultimately, where he downfalls would be the uh, would be where he wants to find redemption and salvation, right? Like that would be like the biggest point. Like he wants to create a material salvation, and our salvation is fa- found in our Lord Jesus Christ alone. That's right. right. That's such Amen. a good point, dude. And, Amen. You know, that that's a good place to end it, really, man. And I'm going to be honest. Yeah, yeah. If you like Marx, like whatever. 
But like, if you like logos and you like Jesus Christ, what up? Hit that subscribe button. We go, we go. Yes, and sir. <laughs> and let's do this. We'll make more yep. logos podcast. Please subscribe if you're liking what we're doing. Yeah, man. it'll help us out um, a lot. You know, it's funny. I never wanted to be the guy to ask people to subscribe, but uh, it's important. I got it. I'll do Sam, it. Sam took care of it. Thank you, me. Sam. That's right. <laughs> Good. Uh, all right, guys. Well, I do thank y'all for tuning into this episode of Logos Podcast. Um, I hope y'all found it informative as we did. And as always, God bless.